You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, the Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games, the war games, and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host, Justin. I am here with my main man, Dan. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Unfortunately, Jason is traveling today and could not make it to the podcast. He was going to try to dial in from the hotel room, but, uh, you know, that days in probably doesn't have the best connection. <laughs> We gotta come up with better stories. Like this week, he was murdered by a ninja assassin. At a day's in. At a day's in. Enjoy your complimentary breakfast. <laughs> but he comes back to life. Ah, uh, great, Dan. How was your geek week this week? Oh, uh, things have been going really well. I know I've been kind of in and out of, of the show a little bit. I wanted to talk about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I, you know, I'm really geeking out about the show. Just really mm-hmm. enjoying it. Um, it's one where, you know, um, it's kind of a little bit more gritty than a little less Twilight Zoney than WandaVision. I loved WandaVision too. So this yeah. is, this feels a little bit more like kind of the Marvel that we kind of wanted Marvel Agents of Shield to feel like. <laughs> Right. And it, and it right. never really got there. And it did some some of the, some of the episodes are great. Agents of Shield, and I watched a lot of Agents of Shield, but I, Falcon and the Winter Soldier is great. So anybody who hasn't uh, tuned in or gotten Disney Plus, um, you know, it's it's thumbs up for me. Go check it out. There's a lot coming out. Um, one of the things that I kind of made a mistake on, and this is not a spoiler because it was in the trailer, right? Um, I think it's the first or second ep- second episode in. You meet up with um, uh, what's her name, the agent of Shield that helped basically uh, the Winter Soldier and Captain America. Um, Sharon. Sharon. Sharon, um, Sharon Carter. Car- Carter, yes. Sharon because Carter. she was Peggy Carter's niece, right? Yes. Uh-huh. So Sharon Carter. When I was like, oh yeah, she has her own show, Agent Carter, right? And. <laughs> Then we looked at a preview for Agent Carter. I'm like, that's not the Agent Carter no. I meant to talk about. It's no. actually her aunt. So, yeah, never mind. No. Good try, though. Yeah, good try, I watched though. all of uh, Car- Agent Carter. It was was it good? I, I it, liked it a lot. It looked interesting. Um, it was great to have a, a real strong female role, and the plots were interesting. And uh, it, I kind of like that kind of cool post-war 50s, you know, Ray Gun era sci-fi and the sexism gets a little old and they had to lay it on really thick because it was pretty apropos for the time from what i understand but still you know um, sometimes it's over the top it was a little little too much um other than that i i i I really liked it i think it's not that hard to find on streaming i think you could oh it's on disney plus it's easier to find it now than it was when it came out quite frankly because we dvr'd that show and that was a show my wife and i watched together Interesting. Okay. Um, what was it? What else was I going to say? I, um, oh, I had a colleague at work today tell me that she had some downtime this weekend and she went back and watched age of Ultron and captain America, winter soldier. Um, and then, uh, and even captain America, civil war, I think. And, uh, she came back to watch the Falcon and the winter soldier. And, she was like, there's a lot of jokes that I missed in here and a lot of references I missed in here. Like this show's way deeper than a lot of people um, probably realize because 
um, it's been such a long time since we all saw Civil War. Like, we generally know the events yeah. that happened in there, and we figure out, obviously, that, like, the Winter Soldier ended up killing Tony Stark's parents, and that was a whole big deal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we remember all of those things, but I guess she said there's a lot of little things that, like, um, are referenced in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier that, like, unless you had seen it recently, you probably are missing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. I had to go back and watch Ultron. I... And I watched, yeah, I, I circle through the Marvel movies pretty frequently, but not in any kind of order. I just do it when it, when it, when it feels right. Um, so I think I got back into Ultron when, uh, uh, WandaVision came out. I was going to say, you know, it's interesting how, um, Age of Ultron probably ranks in the bottom third of the Marvel movies for most people. Um, like it's tier three for a yeah, lot of people. But it's like the glue holding the whole it universe is. together. It at like everything. Yeah. I mean, the whole end game was all about like the Scopia stuff. Like it was all yeah. affected by it, you know? And so, yeah. uh, kind of interesting. It was such a pivotal movie for the entire MCU. And yet most people really don't either. They don't remember that movie very well, or they don't like it that much that they don't care to watch it. Yeah. So. James Spader's voice acting is amazing in that film. It's really good. Um, and Paul but it's a Bettany, little intense. It's a little intense for kids. Yeah, it is. Oh yeah, it's it's kind of yeah, it's on the edgy edgy side of that. I, yeah. I like um, I've liked Paul Bettany and everything he's been in. He's one of my favorite characters, and it was just really really awesome that Joss Whedon's like you know. You know, the guy who does the voice for Arvis is a dead ringer for Vision, and we could bring him back. Um, yeah. So I. I I'm glad they did. I I never like followed Vision very much as a as a as a kid, um, but later in life I've discovered him and, and really enjoyed him as a as a one of the Avengers. So you mentioned Paul Bettany. I, we've totally gone on a tangent with this, but you mentioned Paul Bettany. Um, I recently watched Margin Call. Have you seen that movie? No, no. Um, it's basically 24 hours at a giant financial. Um, like lending bank oh you know one of those. I mean? yeah like a and, glenn ross type thing yeah and it um it's basically when the housing market happens yep and they've got to offload all of their terrible assets and he's in it and i'm telling you like he uh, jeremy irons is in that movie hmm. and um you had uh zachary quinto was in that movie oh wow you okay. you had like a ton of stars like you're looking at this and you're like holy cow how, how have i not seen this before i think it came out in like 2010 but anyway um a lot of star power in there and paul bettany was probably like the best one in there like he really? is a very he's underrated a actor, actor yeah. he's so good i think he's totally underrated i totally in other other rpgs i've played i think we were this was the uh, Firefly game that the Serenity game that that Jay ran one one of the characters I played was um, was a lawyer and I used Paul Bettany's photo as as oh that's what my character looks like so nice I, I've been and that was a long time ago when we played that so anyway yeah. uh, all this stuff is really great uh, there's you know not a lot to say without big spoilers um, my next Geek Week thing is interesting are you familiar with The Walking Dead I am indeed. Are you familiar with The Walking Dead World Beyond? I am not familiar with that. This is a spin-off. Oh, like is it on AMC? I don't know. Let me tell you. I've never actually watched the show, and I've never actually watched The Walking Dead, but now I've been on The Walking Dead World Beyond set. 
Wow. Oh, you've been on the set? On the set, yeah. Oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah, we picked... Were you a zombie? No, that would have been really great. Um, that would have been fun. Uh, um, no, Walking Dead, there uh, it was a park. Uh, dude, let's just spoil the whole thing. Like, we weren't supposed to... You're not supposed to tell people where people are shooting. But uh, Walking Dead, the world beyond, was shooting in Maymount in Richmond. And we were just happened to be at Maymount. Wow. It's a 100-acre privately owned park and it has this old estate on there from the you know the 1880s and the guy who founded it or the guy who turned it into what it is today was a confederate uh, guy who became a lawyer philanthropist I tried to look on Wikipedia <laughs> to make sure he didn't have any like deep, dark segregationists, uh, st- uh, skeletons in his closet. I didn't see any on Wikipedia. But anyway, um, Walking Dead, Be- World Beyond was filming in a big chunk of that part, that, that area. And so uh, we went to go as uh, during spring break and check it out. And it was really cool. Uh, some of the restrooms that we had to use were the same restrooms as the as the extras had to use, or that was n- near their uh, congregating area where they just sat around, right? Oh, I gotcha. And we had the guys in the costumes, and they had these jeeps that were decked out, and they looked so cool. These black jeeps with all this tech on them, all this yeah. futuristic stuff. And you know, I hit the men's room, of course. I'm, you know bumping into one of the guys who's, you know, in these black fatigues and he looks like a real, you know, cool dude. And I was like, good guy or bad guy. He's like, bad guy, always, always bad guy. (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) So uh, it was fun. And so I tried to like cross through one of the areas and the PAs were like, we're going to shoot here. You can't walk across this corner of the park. And I'm like, that's my ride. I don't care what you say. That's awesome. <laughs> so then the PAs got really uptight with everybody after I walked across. They're like, you can't walk across here. We're shooting. Anyway, too fun. Uh, so now I have that a connection awesome. to The Walking Dead. So And I've been on a, a set of a TV show. Go crazy. Yeah, call, that's call awesome. Crazy. Yeah, That's pretty geeky, I think. That, that is. That rates on Geek Week. Very good, very good. Uh, let's see. I am almost done with God of War. I think I talked about starting it when I got oh, yeah. the PS4. So I'm almost done with it now. Um, and I'll be honest with you. Every time I fire it up, I think of uh, Jedi Fallen Order, the game. Um, and I'm convinced. I don't have any proof of this, but I'm convinced that it was the same developers that worked on, that went from God of War and did Jedi Fallen Order. Oh yeah, um, I, that's because, the only way they could have gotten Fallen Order out as fast as they did. <laughs> yeah, it's it's essentially the same kind of game, um, just with the Star Wars skin. I mean, it's the same kind of like puzzle and mechanics. The <laughs> uh, there's there's sorry no with boobs. the boobs. There's no boobs in God of War. I thought God of boob. I thought God of boobs. <laughs> God of boobs. Wow. I thought God of War. <laughs> Had uh had had special settings for uh more mature content. Um, not this one. Maybe maybe oh. on the other previous ones they did. Okay. This one, I mean, it's kind of violent. I mean, that's like it's he's like a Spartan rage machine. So, yeah. um, but there's not a lot of sexual stuff. In okay. fact, there's well, really good. nothing. But uh, yeah. Anyway, um, or bad so, depending on how you. <laughs> right. The audience depending on what kind of game you stuff. want. Yeah. Other exactly. people are like oh. 
So yeah, I'm like I said, I'm I'm convinced that it's basically the same game with a different skin. This it had the same kind of puzzles, the same kind of um, it's it's a linear game that makes you want to feel like it's an open world game. If that makes sense, like it twists <laughs> and turns on itself, so it feels like you're going yeah. through like a bigger area, and you have to kind of go back and forth to different areas. So it makes it feel <laughs> like it's quote unquote open world, but it's really not. Like you're very confined to routes that you can take and things like that so um i listen i've i've had a blast with it it's a lot of fun um and uh i'm like finishing it all up so i get the 100 percent completionist because that's who i am that's who you are with my games and uh yeah know so that's been fun know that know thy known self that's right uh the second thing is that i picked up this weekend the warhammer uh warhammer quest cursed city game uh, this has been in my social media feed, and I've clicked yeah. on this not more, not more than, you know, several times. Let me just say, the models in this game are ridiculously awesome. Oh, I good. mean, they are gorgeous models, like some of the best that I think Games Workshop has put out. And um, it is, yeah, I I agree. Um, I think that uh, based on what I've seen of the game. I've I pulled it out briefly just to kind of peruse through it because I'm still painting um, my Skaven warband, my little rat men, um, and so I don't want to pull them out all the way and then like let them just sit there because I want to you know I want to be able to paint them. Yeah. Um, but I, I kind of perused through the box a little bit and it looks to be the same game mechanics as Blackstone Fortress, which was their Warhammer 40k box game that came out a couple years ago. Um, but it looks to be almost like Blackstone Fortress 2.0 in a fantasy setting. So I think that they've taken the things that worked and improved upon it. Um, they've got some interesting mechanics that it's like if you're in the daytime, things happen a certain way. If you're at nighttime, like the dead begin to rise in the city, you know. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's, so it's a cooperative, uh, you know, AI driven enemy game um, similar to like a zombie side or something like you know uh a uh, a uh, uh, descent a Gloomhaven? no oh. it's i mean okay. it's it's i'm sure that there's some like m- there's some narrative details i i hesitate to call it like rpg light even yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, there's yeah, narrative yeah. to it you know um but zombie side is is you know you have the structure yeah. of you know you here's your character here's your gear go and that's it and that sounds yeah it's not like you know. It's not quite that bare bones, you yeah. know what I mean? But you've got like, okay, so here's why you are in this cursed city. Here's like the lore and the background that's going on. And here's your first mission. Here's the background. Here's the details. Here's what you need to do. Here's like, you know, like a, a little bit more detail about why you're doing it. Other than like you're forced in zombie side, it's like you're four strangers and you're in a room. And this is how the mechanics go. Survive, right. you know? So, um... So there's there's more to it that but I you know I mean I would say there's probably a similar amount of narrative as there is in like descent, which is a good amount. Sense. Which is a good yeah. Which is uh, enough to want to keep playing and fighting and giving giving yourself a reason to fight instead of like right. There's bad guy. Go kill bad guy. Yeah, exactly. So um, there's I will say that there is a lot of background lore that you can totally get lost in if you want. Which is kind of cool. Um, well, and the Warhammer universe is so deep. Yeah, exactly. Now, here's here's one of the main reasons I got this box. Like these games are awesome on their own, and that's great. 
But all of these models that are in here, I can use for Warcry bands. You just answered my question. I, I was yeah. going to ask you that exact question, and now you're like, oh, man. It's a, it sounds like your 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 pump is primed. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's some great models in here. And uh, the heroes, I can I can assemble them together together to do basically what's called the Cities of Sigmar Warband. Yeah. Which are basically wow. like a, a collection of humans, and you got like a couple mages, couple swordsmen, couple like witch hunters, and you know like you can have them working together to like as like a ragtag hero team, you know. So it'll be awesome. These models are going to be great. They're going to come out on the Warcry table. They're going to come out on the Curse City table, and uh, I'm really excited for it. That's great. So oh, and and here's one little bonus thing. As part of this release, the Warcry team released a um, return to Ulfenkarn. Ulfenkarn is the cursed city. Okay. They they released a return to Ulfenkarn Warcry adventure. So here's what's cool about this. It's designed for four players, right? Mm -hmm. And you play each other. So you play essentially, uh, you each play three games, you know? And you keep track of, like, your wins and losses. Uh, you get points for depending on how you did, you know? Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, and um, and it's easy for some of your war bands, like, miniatures to die. If they die, you don't get to bring them back the next rounds. They're, that's it. Like, they're in the city. And if they die by, like, a zombie, they come back as a zombie. Which is kind of crazy. Uh. So, um, so anyway, you play you play each other, right? Yeah. And then it culminates to this one four like f like four player PVP event that you all play together with wow. the remaining members of your warband, whoever survived. Like the goal is to try to find the treasure that's in the city, and you're like fighting each other in different sectors, essentially looking for clues. That would get you there. And so whoever wins gets more clues and they get more advantages in the last game. Um, but it's not like a guaranteed thing. And so then it's like a 4v4 thing going on. Or not 4v4, uh -huh. but four-player PvP. So right. it looks like a ton of fun. Um, I've got I've got these models that are ready to go for it. I've got some terrain. I bought some new terrain to like wow. do that. So I'm getting excited for like a cool narrative Warhammer night. Oh, jeez. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. I'm so, excited for you. Yeah. It's going to be good times. Yeah. And that box goes for a couple hundred bucks? I got mine for 179 which okay. was $20 off retail. Off of MSRP. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like it's a really good value. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I, my daughter looked at it and she's like, your games are too complicated. Well, I'm like, she's All right. a teenager. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a 16-year-old now. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, you're going to like this. You're going to try it out, and you're going to have a lot of fun with it. We're going to play it. So Very it'll good. be good. Cool. Yeah. cool. Cool, 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 cool. Yep. Yeah, good times. Good times. All right. Let's move on to the news. News, 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 news. It's time for Tabletop and Beyond News. Boop, 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 boop. Nice. That was all improv. All right. In our first story, Luke Crane has resigned his position at Kickstarter following the controversy surrounding his project, Perfect RPG. No way. This is the one we talked about. <laughs> yes. I, 
had to include this because it keep the story doesn't end. Crane previously served as the head of tabletop at Kickstarter, <gasps> which is like half a Kickstarter people, before moving over to the role of vice president head of community. The resignation comes at a mutual agreement with Kickstarter after the perfect RPG. Crowdfunding effort was canceled within hours of launch due to the inclusion of Adam Coble, who uh, the Far Verona guy. If, if you guys don't remember, that, oh my gosh, this is like We've this is like a perfect time. storm of. Oh, that's right. He was included in that. <laughs> Dude, this is this is crazy. It, it this just is like yeah. I mean, I'm hoping this is the last. And I mean, what's crazy? What's dude? This is taught like that guy ended up becoming toxic. He was a vice president at Kickstarter, had to resign his job because, because he had he a guy, oh my Adam gosh. Coble, to help write the perfect RPG along with the list of twenty other people. Oh my god! Now, culture man, did he? I can't remember. Did he ask him before like that Far Verona thing happened, or was it after? Was he throwing was him after. a bone? Was he was after. like, "Buddy, all right, like we gotta get you after, out of the." But he claimed he didn't know at the time. But I don't know. I don't know. This guy's. That's crazy! Holy Ooh. cow! I hope the mob never comes after. Him. Okay, let me let me ask you a serious question. Like serious question. Would you want to work for a company that would ask you to resign for something? That I I, I kind of feel like okay this is a bad I mean this isn't a great thing right you you hired a guy who had some online issues right yeah um but you didn't do anything like you didn't do you anything didn't do yourself right. well he could and now this is all pure wild speculation yeah um at one point in time in the news thread this guy Luke had said he he didn't know about what happened and that was it didn't that did not ring true let me say that yeah so if he went online and said well i i didn't know you know how how could you not know right and um maybe he uh maybe he he had a pinocchio nose when it came to his company right, guess right. what companies try to cover it up type companies thing. yeah if if the kickstarter if his uh if kickstarter found out that whatever he was doing to cover up blew up in his face then it is what it is but I mean, where else can this go? Where else can this story go? Oh my uh, gosh, uh, it, it kind of worries me. Next thing we know, like there's no more D and D. Yeah, like, <laughs> Hasbro's like we're <laughs> shutting it down. Um, but no, seriously. So my question is: is if you were working for a company and yeah. they came and they said, "Hey, you hired this guy, and we know you knew about it. You know who has this issues. We're gonna need you to resign." Let's say, would would you fight it, or would you just be like, you know what, I'm out, I'm good. Uh, yeah, I I hire people all the time. Um, yeah, yeah, I get to they get background checks, but um, that's it. I mean, but you're not checking their social media, uh, like to, I mean, you know. uh, the way the the entity that I work for <laughs> operates, there's uh-huh. very real reasons if you have to treat everybody equally. So if you go on, right. Social media for one candidate, you go on social media for all of them, right? And so, right, 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 right. Um, I don't. I. I would I work for? Would I work for Kickstarter? Um, so I. I. I don't know. I. I seriously think that let's say whatever this Luke Crane guy did was above board and just said I was trying, just trying to put out my game. Yeah. And Kickstarter's like you gotta go. You're friends with this horrible human being. I'd be like, 
uh, I think I'm going to keep my job. I wouldn't walk. Um, I'd be like, it's, this whole thing's going to, this thing's been blown out of proportion is what I, if yeah. I was, I'm trying to envision what it's like to be Luke Crane right now, stepping down as vice president of Kickstarter. Um, it's not like he was hosting Far Verona, right? It's not, right. It's not even like that, unless there was something else that we don't know. And usually there's, there's the corporate line that you don't know. Usually this stuff if it's if it looks right. funny, it means there's a whole story underneath that 100%, has, to, has 100%. to be factored in. So, I mean, um, it could have been that he went and died on the hill. You know what I mean? Like, it could have been that he went to corporate and was like, "This is ridiculous. We need to keep him back in. I will. I will stake my reputation on it." And they're like, "Okay, well, you're out of here." Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, he could have went and died on the hill, and and then. That we're not seeing that part of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah. I hate to defend this creep Adam Coble, but holy crap, this is just this is just. Oh my gosh! It's, it kind of is. I, I wish I, I wish the story would would have been over two chapters ago. It just won't end. So I know. Hopefully, this is the last chapter. We never. This is the this is the final back. Lord of the Rings movie where you think there's three <laughs> endings. Another ending. <laughs> Well, in the books, they started a whole new adventure. The four I know, got back I know. and they were like, well, let's kick all these guys out of the Shire. Who are ba- yeah, okay, we're not doing <laughs> All right, next news item. Dune Adventures in the Imperium. The role-playing game is now available in PDF. The 360-page PDF. Wow. The 336-page PDF has everything you need to play out your own adventures on Arrakis using the 2D20 system. There are rules for playing Mentat, Swordmaster, Spies, Bene Gesserit, Sisters, Devious Advisors, and Fremen that can join your banner as one of the existing houses where you can create your own minor or major house. All right, so this is what I would do. If I if I got this if I got this RPG and I got my group together, the first thing that we would do before session zero even happens. <laughs> session negative one. Right, exactly. <laughs> We'd have Dune the book club, yeah. Essentially, yeah, yeah. like we would, I would say it's required reading to play this game. Yeah, and we're, and we're all gonna read it, and we're all gonna discuss it in like session <laughs> negative one. <laughs> you know, everybody, and so that we're all like has to have an opinion. Ste- yeah, we gotta all get steeped in the lore. You know, we all gotta be like, okay, we're down, and then we can start saying like. Okay, does anyone want to create a house? Does anyone want to be yeah. like these things, you know? Because then it, then it matters and then it I I think one of the um and I'm going to save a lot of this discussion, but I think one of the reasons why the our 40k game didn't do as well as I had hoped is that um there's only like two of us that really knew the lore, like really knew the lore. That you know, is and a so thing. that's a real yeah. thing. So, you know, when I was like, okay, so I not invested in the story. What do you do? Yeah. So I was like, okay, a demon of corn shows up and you guys like, okay. And I'm like, (laughs) it's a demon of corn. And you're like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, is it, uh, is it sweet corn? Is it? Yeah. Right. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So like for Dune, because like, I mean, a lot of us have read Dune and I think it's, you know, quintessential, sci-fi reading you have to if to call yourself a sci-fi fan you have had to have read dune at least once yeah and um but the problem is is i think the last time i read dune was almost 15 years ago 
So well, I let me you know. let me up let me uh, I I'll, I'll see your bet and and I'll up you. I'd say that yes, you had to do you didn't have to do the reading if you watched. Um, I'm not going to say the 1980s Dune movie. The 1980s Dune movie, if you watch it, it'll kind of get you interested and excited about Dune a little bit, but it raises more questions than it answers yeah, really right. about the universe. But there were two miniseries that were done, um, one that covered the first book and the one that covered the second book. So um, they were all about four or five episodes each. So there's like 10 episodes of Dune out there. Um um, and it was done by Sci-Fi Channel back in the day. Okay, and, okay. Um, oh, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. It was significantly more robust as far as telling more of the story. That's what you get to do with more time, you know? Right. So, um, I, I, to be honest, those were, I love the 80s movie and I love those miniseries. They got me excited about it. I'm excited, I'm excited to see the new movie. Me too. Um, even though I know that story pretty darn well by now. Um, but I went deep and I did all the prequels to Dune, the Butler, you know, wow. the Butlerian Jihad, and I went into the sequel series because, uh, you know, um, Brian um, Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson found uh, the outline for Dune Seven, which was the book that uh, Frank Herbert never wrote. So oh, they right. turned that into two books, and everybody's like, "Oh, we hate their, you know, we hate they're they're so they're such you know posers writing these books." I'm like. These guys know it so in and so far in and out. Yes, they don't write as good as Frank Herbert, but he was a genius. But they yeah. had had his notes, and you know, and Brian Herbert worked with his dad on Dune before his dad died. So right, you know, give him give him some credit. I did, there there were a few of those novels I didn't read, um, but most of them I plowed through and loved. Yeah, loved so. I love the universe. The universe makes sense if you get into it. That's the other thing is that you, you get into the universe and you don't see the seams in it, you know? Right. Um, uh, and that's that's a great, well-thought-out universe. Universe building. We've got to do a topic on universe oh, building. that's yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I keep coming back to this as, as, a, as a... I think it's a key part of... Uh, and I think we could connect that up to talking about suspension of disbelief. Yeah. You know, the, the deeper your lore is, the easier it is to say, well, you turn around this corner and there's that. You turn around that corner and there's that. If the right. lore is real thin. And the homebrews have this problem all the time when it's somebody's story in their head. Yeah. Um, you know, they, it, it feels a little uh, shallow. Not, not, uh, as far, it's, uh, not as far it's, as trite, uh, but shallow as far as it just doesn't go as deep. Sorry. It's a Potemkin village. Yeah. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to have to look that up. I like it. Potemkin village. I've heard this. I've heard this before, and it's ringing a bell in my. So voice. the story of a Potemkin village. I'm going to go into some some little trivia for you. Oh, the story of the Potemkin village is um, the lover of um, Queen Catherine, Catherine the Great, in Russia, was General Potemkin, and he uh, was sent ahead to like conquer the Crimea in her name. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. she's like, okay, I'm coming down to inspect. And so he um, had set up all these little quote unquote villages along the banks of the river <laughs> um, that she was sailing on that had people yeah. like waving and shouting, but it was all like paid actors and <laughs> like us totally. Yeah. It, seriously. Like it was like, you know, like just facades of buildings and stuff. And she's like, Oh, that's great. They're, he's like, see your majesty. They love you here. <laughs> You know, and that's uh, 
That's where the name Potemkin Village came got from. It, so, got it, got yeah, it, got it's it. great. 30, or, 30 yards behind the shore, and there's nothing there. <laughs> yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. But I'm not dis- dissing homebrew stuff because that's where a lot of creativity lies. Don't, don't yeah. get me wrong, but it's just not the. It, it, you can't scratch too deeply. Well, you know, yeah, it's it's tough. It's a different type of experience. So, all right, yeah. next news item: Goodman Games announced the upcoming release of Dark Tower, originally published by Judges Guild in 1980. The original module is distinguished as the only third-party adventure for Dungeons and Dragons to make Dragon Magazine's list of the greatest D&D modules of all time. The module will be updated for both 5E rules and for the Dungeon Crawl Classic system with the original designer Janelle Jarquez, Jacquez, sorry, on board in the design of the new version. And as expected from Goodman Games, the original Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 1st edition, edition module will be republished in its entirety with new high-quality scans, with commentary from the various tabletop RPG industry professionals. No price or firm release date has been announced at this time, but expect this reprint and redesign of classic of the classic module later this year. Oh, very cool. I've never played it, but it sounds cool. Well, this is like going way deep. Everybody's discovered that all this stuff that was generated in the 80s um, for D&D is still really great. Um, and, and they all need a new, they all need to, the dust to be brushed off and, and to be played again. It's like the uh, Yawning Portal, right? Yeah, yeah. Tales yeah. from the Yawning Portal? Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, once again, uh, it's a deep universe. D and D has been going for a long, long time. They they have stuff that's great and stuff that's not that's not great. But the great stuff should should live on even longer. It shouldn't be just some moldy um, photocopies in somebody's folder someplace. You should be able to get out and play it and enjoy it. Yeah, cool. This one, this my last news item is for you. Okay. Wizards of the Coast and WizKids announced a new Tiamat. The Tiamat oh. figure is 14.6 inches tall. Oh, my gosh. 16.8 <laughs> inches long with a wingspan of 28.8 Oh, my inches. gosh. That's two feet. That thing's huge. With a clear circular base of 200 millimeters. WizKids specifically states wow. that this is to scale for play on the table and isn't just a statue. Wow. The images indicate the figure will be repainted and assembled like their previous large figures but this is not explicitly stated in the WizKids pre-order page the figure is set for a september release with a retail price of $399.99 wow wow so i will say for $400 it better be pre-painted yeah well i hope so because uh, you can get um uh, i mean that's a that's a huge model um, you can get probably a more intricate model from Games Workshop, like their Archeon model that's yeah. got like the three-headed yeah. dragon thing. Oh, yeah. That that sucker's uh, a good uh, 18 inches tall, maybe not um two feet wide, but it's you know probably a foot wide or something like that. Um, it's super in- intricate and stuff like that, and you can get it for less than 200. Yeah. So. I'm thinking like if it's if it's four hundred dollars like the and I'm gonna say like the paint job's probably gonna be good on it but it's not gonna be like pro paint quality. No, no, so, production quality. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's good so, enough to put on your shelf, but not good enough to show off to right other paint enthusiasts. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I think I think uh, that three ninety nine price. This is all me getting to this point, which is that I think that three ninety nine price 
wouldn't would have to include the paint job. Yeah, and pre-assembled is pretty yeah. great too for a miniature miniature. Can you imagine the box that sucker comes in? Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, I I have a two hundred was it one hundred dollars my star destroyer my ISD I can't remember what. Oh what, right. I th- I don't know if it was two hundred maybe it was like one hundred fifty bucks but it's it sits on top of a bookshelf and I look at it every day and it's a twenty four inch long super Ooh. star destroyer pre painted and it's a game piece with with its own rule set for um uh, for Star Wars Armada. But yeah. it gets more use as something that I look at when I pretend I'm an A-wing fighter doing a run on it. Um, You're like, I don't want to be here. I want to be doing a run on I, it. Exactly. <laughs> Star Destroyer. Exactly. We'll talk about what I did playing video games, X-wing versus Tie Fighter, over and over and over again to get my high scores higher. I'd take run, runs at Super Star Destroyer. Anyway, that's the end of the news. I hope you enjoyed nice. it. Yeah, great stuff, great stuff. So we're taking this opportunity with Jay being gone to talk about something that he hates. <laughs> <laughs> I kid. No, no, no. Yeah. What does he hate? He hates elves. <laughs> he does. I kid you not. He hates elves like with a passion. So like he'll never, he'll never, he'll never play an elf in an RPG. And he'll never, um, like, there's, like, um, in 40K, there's these Eldar, which, yep. I mean, they're es- essentially space elves. They're not really elves, but they're, like, like space elves. And that's elfy enough that Jason won't even, like, go near to, like, play him. You know? <laughs> So kind of kind of makes kind of makes me fun, makes me laugh a little bit. Uh, no, so today we're going to talk about uh, the Mandalorian, and we had mentioned in previous episodes that we wanted to kind of do a little bit of a deep dive in the Mandalorian and why we think that it is culturally significant and why it um, is a very important piece in the Star Wars universe at this point. Um, because I actually think that the Mandalorian brought Star Wars back from the brink. Uh, I think that's a fair assumption. That's a fair yeah. argument. There's a lot of points to be made in favor of that argument. Yeah, so so maybe that'll be our closing argument. Yeah. Um, how, how, and we can use, you know, things that we referenced in the in this, but how the Mandalorian brought Star Wars back from the brink. Uh, because I think that it was suffering more than the box office would have you believe. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So, all right, let's get started. Where are we? Where are we? Where are we starting, Dan? Well, you know, um, season one was a really fantastic season, and even if you watch the first episode of the first season, it sets up so much of the story, and it it does so much great work. You know, introducing uh, obviously. Um, the main character, but his whole ethos and all the side characters and how they react to him and yeah. is kind of pretty fantastic. And we're not going to go episode by episode, which I would love, but we're not because we're really <laughs> here for three hours and I would love it. But um, what we get with the Mandalorian is a Star Wars character who is so purely Star Wars and he just feels Star Wars um, yeah. without him without it trying too hard it's like get the costume right get the attitude right get the script right and everything else can pretty much take care of itself um, yeah 
one of one of the things that um I really like about the Mandalorian that they set up very early on um was to draw from a lot of the same roots that George Lucas drew from when he made his original trilogy and that was the Kurosawa movies. Yeah. Right, so all of those samurai movies, uh, like the Seven Samurai and uh, Rashomon and things like that, like that, um, were all about these, you know, kind of Ronin samurai, masterless samurai that are looking for a place in this world and kind of are called upon to do something that is out of their comfort zone. And they, in that, they end up finding the purpose of their life kind of thing, you know? And, um, so... I mean, chapter four is a straight-up remake of The Seven Samurai, like... Yeah, 100%. 100%. And, um, and as soon as I was watching it, I'm like, I know this movie. We call it sometimes The Seven Samurai or The Magnificent Seven. (laughs) Or or my Life. (laughs) Or my favorite, The Three Amigos. The Three Amigos, that's right. It still works. It's a classic. Yeah. It's a classic story yeah. structure, and it's it's fantastic. And I mean, the theme is so great with the Mandalorian because I mean, coming from a warrior society, a warrior culture, like you know, he is a Ronin samurai. He is a masterless samurai. You know, um, I mean, you just you give him kind of more of that ancient Japanese stuff, and he's like the perfect fit. Well, and, and he, he represents the anti-hero side of Star Wars, which is always kind of lurking in the background, which you had with kind of Han Solo and his world. Mm-hmm. But as Han Solo gets more committed to what his, as he becomes more committed to his friends, he becomes more focused on the good side versus the evil side. And the same journey kind of, the Mandalorian has that well, the has that as well when he gets closer and closer to Grogu. Because when you when you meet him, he's pretty much, uh, you know, let, let's bag him and chill him and get the pay. Bag him and chill him and get the pay. And he's right. really good at what he does. Um, and so as an anti-hero goes, he slowly, the anti-hero thing slowly peels back away as he starts looking into the face of that beautiful little baby Yoda with his big black eyes. And you really start <laughs> caring about all this. Um, but just to say something about the cast is so marvelously done i mean to have mm-hmm. an, to have a cast that has horatio sands from saturday night live and and Werner herzog <laughs> you right. know, in the same episode and it all still fits and doesn't feel weird it's just yeah it's just pretty fantastic so yeah um i and carl weathers is amazing um uh, so know. a little side note little side note um this is kind of a tangent, but related. Uh, we went to Philadelphia uh, two weeks ago, right? And before we went to Philadelphia, we made the kids watch Rocky 1. Okay. Right? Because we're <laughs> going to go to the Rocky statue, and I'm like, you guys have to know who Rocky is. Otherwise, yeah, this yeah, means yeah. nothing. You know what I mean? And so um, we watched it, and the kids hated the movie because it's a 1976 love story <laughs> with boxing in the background. You know what I mean? And uh, it was and, big in its day. It was big. Oh, but you know what? I, I watched it and I'm like, I appreciate this movie more now that I'm like 40. Like, yeah. I like this it movie a lot more. Sense, yeah. And then when we got back, we made them watch Rocky 2, and they hated it a little bit less <laughs> because that was a 1979 movie, I think. You know, like it was a little bit later. And yeah. then we're like, I, I was like, you guys, you don't understand. I'm building you up to get to the like culminating point of Rocky four, like you have to 
watch these to get to the point where you appreciate everything about Rocky Four. So then we watched Rocky Three, uh-huh. and um, you know Apollo Creed, who is Carl Weathers, yeah. is like a very prominent figure in that movie. And um, he, up, dude, was he was favorite was three, but yeah. three is such a good movie. Yeah. And I was like, Russian man, one, right? No, 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 no. That's four. Oh, that's four, four is sorry. the Russian. No, three, three is the is one with Mr. Mr. T. Mr. T. You're right. Yeah, right. Clubber Lang. I pity the fool. So, <laughs> <laughs> listen, it was so great. But listen, the kids in the end were like, this movie was awesome. Like they loved Rocky three. And I'm good. like, but I'm telling you, kids, you could not have gotten to that point unless you had seen one and two. Like. Yeah. It really builds up. Anyway, Carl Weathers is amazing. He was amazing in yes. Rocky. And yes. boy, he was ripped in those movies. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm talking a hunk of hunk of, like, Well, and, and you're, if you're doing a Star Wars movie and you're walking through and you're kind of winking at it like, oh, I know I'm in a space fantasy, it kind of ruins it for everybody. Uh, yeah. And he never does that. He is legit believing every word that he says and every weird thing going on is is going he he sells it so so unbelievably well um and oddly enough uh so does bill burr who plays oh yeah mayfield like Mayfield mm-hmm. bill burr was like i hate star wars star wars is stupid like, people like star wars are lame right he like yeah that was part of his comedy routine right and they pulled him into this universe and at no time in his episode does he not sell the reality of the universe. And right. then in the second episode they totally deepen his character and he's no longer this trite jerk who's you know causing trouble. He he's a person who's seen real war and is carrying around a lot of pain. Um you know this is Star Wars we're talking about, you know, and and I think yeah. the Star Wars universe is big enough for lots of cool things to happen. And, and lots of interesting yeah. things to happen. And that's what kind of Mandalorian proves. My favorite part of the Star Wars universe is not what's on screen. I hate to say this. My favorite part of the universe is when you turn to the left and turn to the right. And you and and you see the other sets that, that the cameras never point to. Right? Yeah. Those, those sets that are in my mind and my brain. And that's why the RPG is so much fun and why the, you know, the novels are so much fun. And finally, this show really delivers in so many very real ways what it is to play the star Wars RPG, which I'd been, we'd been playing this since 1989. I knew all about this. This feeling was out there, you know, if, yeah. if you hooked into it. Um, and now, and now everybody uh, feels the same way we were feeling back in the day. You know, it's funny because solo came out. You and I went and saw solo together with yeah, our wives. Uh-huh. Yeah, we did. And you and I both walked out of there very satisfied with that movie yeah. i enjoyed it a lot um i know that there was a lot of backlash and i actually think it was just holdover backlash from um episode eight, episode eight. Okay. you know i think there's a lot of people poo-pooed that mo- that solo movie because they they really hated episode eight yeah. um i don't get me wrong solo is by no means a perfect movie no. but when i walked out of it i said i just felt like we watched an entire awesome rpg yeah yeah. And that yeah. was what was so much fun about it. It was like yeah. let's get the band together and do these cool things, you know, yeah. and and uh and you know the 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 Mandalorian has a lot of that feel. One of the one of the things I really like about this is that um it it combines kind of like I said that Kurosawa kind of mythic 
aspect of it, right? Of this wandering warrior, right? He's kind of the archetype of that. With the episodic 50s westerns that we, like mm-hmm. our parents kind of grew up on, right? Yeah. Like the Lone Ranger on the radio and, you know, like uh, maybe um, Bonanza or Gunsmoke, like, um, you know, on Shane. TV. It's a classic cowboy movie. Yeah, I, yeah. I really or like High that. Noon and yeah. stuff like that, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, like all of those great like westerns that happened, um, I feel like you, like, even though you might be on Mon Calamari, right? Like it's a Western, like we're watching Western movies. And, and what's so funny is um, I'll, I'll talk about this with colleagues. I'm like, I love, I love Westerns. I really do. Like a Western comes out. I eat it up. I, Mm -hmm. I I really love it. And, um, and they're like, Oh man, I just can't get into it. I'm like, I bet you like Westerns more than you think, you know, because, (laughs) They're everywhere. You know, they're because everywhere. they're everywhere and you just don't know it. Yeah. You know, like there's Westerns in space. There's Westerns out at sea. There's Westerns like yeah. in modern times, you know, like, you know, when you get a good guy standing up to bad, like chances are that's built off of a Western somewhere, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So there's so many great plots out there. And like the, the folks that have written Westerns have really you know they know how to hit the right notes on their instrument in new and different ways from a plot standpoint that make it interesting but you still get all the great tropes from the genre just like mandalorian does it leaves no but no star wars fan is left behind in mandalorian even though it's kind of focusing on what would it like to what would it be like to be a bounty hunter on the fringe um you know you've got the force aspect you've got uh, Gina Giancarlo's role with the rebellion. You've got, you know, yeah. all of these different notes, you know, Tamora Morrison who plays Boba Fett, but it was also, you know, featured more prominently in the clone wars comes yeah. back to play Boba Fett. So, I mean, it, it really starts connecting things up and let's be honest, the people who put this show together, largely Dave Filoni is it's full of love letters to fans too. Like for so instance, many. the Dark Troopers. It's like if you played Dark Forces, which was the the original Doom version. Dark Forces was Doom yeah. Star Wars skinned, and everybody from that era in the oh, early yeah. 1990s played it constantly because it was oh, yeah. freaking it's a great awesome game. for its Such time. a good game, yeah. And the sound was great, and the story was great, and all that stuff. Well. Guess what? Those bad guys that you just had to kick the crap out of, you know, in the mid '90s, suddenly they've shown up and they've walked on screen and they look almost exactly the same. But yeah. now, now they're now they're you know good enough for for the screen, you know, good enough for the special effects of the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was gonna, I was going to ask you earlier. I mean, you mentioned Dave Filoni, and I think we'll get to him. But um, do you think? And I think I know the answer to this. Um, but do you think the Mandalorian would have been as successful if they hadn't explored Mandalore as deeply as they did in the Clone Wars? You know, I was one of the people that thought the Mandalorian would pick right up after the Clone Wars story space. And they didn't uh-huh. pick it up until season two when they really kind of introduced Katie Sackoff's character who yeah. vo- who was the voice and the model for the animated version of her character. And then she got to play that character in real life, which is kind of freaking crazy amazing if you think about it. 
um, as she played Bo-Katan. And Bo-Katan's good story... Good old Starbuck. Yeah, Bo- Starbuck. And Bo-Katan's story is only really good if you know about her sister, Sabine. Yeah. Uh, not Sabine, sorry. Her sister, um, uh, Duchess... Satine. Duchess Satine. Duchess Satine. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for that. That's uh, all right. It's know, uh, oh, it's Obi Wan's lover. Oh, oh, the, yeah, his his <laughs> the one great love of Obi Wan's life was the, yeah. the the head of state of the planet Mandalore, right? And so you just pull the string and you keep pulling and pulling. So when you first get into to Mandalorian, their rules don't make sense with the rules that I was aware of. It didn't bother me. It really didn't yeah. bother me. The whole "don't take your helmet off" thing, because I know that planets are full of multiple cultures. And right. I also know that the Mandalorians are pretty uh, throughout throughout the expanded universe and legends. They're kind of they swing back and forth of what they're into all the time. They're kind of schizophrenic, and the fact that there would be this group saying, "No, you can't take your helmet off," didn't bother me at all because there was yeah. this group of Mandalorian pacifists that you get to know in the Clone Wars. So some people were like, "I don't get this. I don't get what's going on with this whole." helmet thing and then they made yep. it all work later and it was fine yeah so what i loved about that especially and my kids picked up on it right away they're like whoa those ones are like taking their helmets off like what's the deal with this guy yeah you know what i mean and they're just like and you know it was like oh he's not like them you know and yeah. i think there was a there was a line in the episode where they're like oh he's one of them you know what i mean yeah oh, <laughs> like they knew of, they literally he's said like that. oh he's gosh he's one of them you know and um uh, you know, it's interesting because um, I, I go back to the samurai analogy. Not every samurai was the same. No. They all had different feudal lords with different cultures, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, so, but there was a common Bushido code that sort of united all of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is a common Mandalorian code, which is about, you know, the way of violence and kind of thing you know or the way of war i guess it is this is the way right you know yeah Yeah. so and he's also saddled with what bounty hunters do in star wars Mm -hmm. and i loved i loved watching that because it's only a thing that happens kind of mentioned bounty hunting except for han solo but you don't really watch somebody do it every day like you get an episode one of the mandalorian where star wars is so the galaxy is so big and so vast it is easy to get into a ship and get away from uh, people you've screwed or laws you've broken. Yeah. So in that universe where space travel is, is relatively cheap, relatively easy, and, and it's a great way to run away from your problems, m- bounty hunters are the counter swing to that. Right. It's like, yeah, you can screw everybody over you want, but then they'll just put a bounty over on, on your head. And, and, and so they they play a logical function in the way civilization works too, and you get to figure that out in the first couple episodes. You're like, okay, and especially when when he's arguing with IG Eleven, you know, about who's going to take what, you know, the money and stuff like that. And yeah, when we play in the RPG, people are like, well, what if you Welsh on a bounty? And I say, oh no no no, in Star Wars, there's bounty escrow. <laughs> if you're going to put a bounty on somebody's head. The money's yeah. already in the bank waiting for you to claim it, right? Um, yeah. The, 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 uh, for, for gamers, there's so much in the first few episodes. We keep going back to the first few episodes, but I didn't know how much uh, hyper uh, coaxium, I didn't know the cost of coaxium, which uh-huh. made it very difficult to figure out. Well, you know, then hyperspace travel is kind of magical. Everybody just goes wherever they want and there's no cost. 
Yeah. But when cost is a real driver and you can't just jump in your ship and fly to the other side of the galaxy without that hitting your pocketbook. Now I could hit the, there was one throwaway line, which is all I needed to do a whole bunch of math to figure out how much, yeah. how much stuff should, should cost in the star Wars universe in Canon. Right. There's been other yeah. supplements and stuff, but if you look back at the Wizards of the Coast supplements, they don't match up with the Fantasy Flight supplements. The cost of the value of a credit <laughs> varies widely, right? Right, right. Um, so that matters because that's the glue that kind of it forces player behavior and it, it forces the story along. It's like, well, no, we can't go after that because we we won't get a payout. You know that that bounty is not worth our time. Well, how would you know that if you can't like at least do kind of a, a calculation? But the chain yeah. code thing was great because you can say from a gamer's perspective, bounty hunters, uh, if if you have a chain code, that means your ID has your DNA code locked into it, and that's and and oh yeah, that was great. That work over long distances and all that stuff that they used to solve those pro those story problems actually solved a lot of gamer problems for me. So I was able to do um, a, a bounty hunter uh, campaign right after season one because i had i had all kind of the tools that i needed to make it more fun so let me ask you this um season two had a lot of cameos from um kind of nostalgia right so we had um ahsoka tano show up we yeah. had boba fett show up yeah. uh you know we had uh i think those were the two big Oh, well, you know, Luke's and then there's a, oh, we there's a Luke we Star Wars. Do, we didn't do the spoiler alert for this episode. Yeah, so. I think we're six months after it. So if you haven't seen it now, by the way, Luke shows up. <laughs> Luke shows up. You yeah. know? Luke kind of so steals you had... everybody's thunder who showed up earlier in the season. Oh, it's true. <laughs> Especially Ahsoka Tano, you know, yeah. comparatively. Yeah. Um, but um, so you had, a, you had a whole bunch of people who showed up, um, you know, aside from Luke, they were all in the um, Clone Wars cartoons. And, um, you know, going back to the question, which was, uh, do you think that, you know, same thing with Mandalore, which was, do you think that um, it's better, you know, the show is better because of what happened in the Clone Wars? Um, do you think, do you think that those things are necessary in Clone Wars to really like tie the, into the story here? Um there's some motivations behind what Ahsoka is doing in her episode in chapter 13, the Jedi right. that make a lot more sense when she's dealing with the bad mayor, the bad governor who we find out is an apprentice to Thrawn. And we also find out that if you're really digging in the details, that that particular apprentice was also one of the night sisters. So yes, that ties into clone wars big time. Um, Thrawn ties into um, not the Clone Wars tie, ties into Star Wars Rebels, which I super duper love. So yeah, there's all these, he was great. There's all these strings. Ahsoka, you know, shows up in uh, you know in uh, in Rebels, but she's obviously a main character in Clone Wars. So there's all these threads that reach so far back into the other areas of Star Wars where. I don't. I can't watch Chapter Thirteen: The Jedi without all this crap in my head. So I don't yeah. know what it would be like for somebody who's like, "What's all this throwaway dialogue about?" Um, it feels like throwaway yeah. dialogue, but for people like me, I'm falling out of my chair, going, "Oh, they did it! They went there! I'm so excited!" 
Yeah, I, I had the same reaction, you know, because I had watched all of the Clone Wars and I had watched all of the Rebels and stuff like that. And so when Ahsoka Tano's like, where's Admiral Thrawn? You know, I'm like, oh, dang, she's looking for Ezra. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I, I kind of knew that that's what's going on. And that was some pretty powerful subtext that like I knew and I had to pause the show and um, my kids remembered it because they had seen Rebels, but my wife had never seen Rebels. And so she was like, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. All I know is this lady, Ahsoka, She's is a... looking for someone, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and like and he seems to be a pretty bad guy. So, you know, she's doing her thing, and we're going to see if the Mandalore does his thing. I, I think so, they did a nice job of not laying every episode like Chapter 13, The Jedi, because I think right. that, would, that, would be, that would be just for me and not for the passive viewer who just really loves to see Grogu on screen because he's adorable. Yeah, so I, like, I totally agree, and I think that um, – this is where the band. This is where the Mandalorian, I think, really earns its stripes, right? Which is, um, they've got a nice balance, uh, a good enough balance that uh, it can gauge many people on multiple fronts, right? Yeah. When my kids saw Ahsoka Tano, they freaked out. They're like, "It's Ahsoka Tano!" Yeah, yeah. Ah! And my wife is like, "Oh, there's Baby Yoda." <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I'm yeah. like, I'm like. Admiral Thrawn, Ezra might still be alive, you know, I'm like, you know, and so like all of a sudden you had five people in one house that were like, you know, it was hitting on different cylinders for all of us, but it was hitting, yeah. you know and, what I mean? And, and Thrawn's establishment as the crazy bad A that he is, is all done in the books that are now legends and not canon anymore, right? They had to go, yeah. you know, they had to go to Timothy Zahn and say, hey, can you write us some more Thrawn books that are in canon, right? To reestablish him as that kind of character where you say his name and everybody goes, <gasps> Thrawn, you know? Um, but so, Timothy so, Zahn wouldn't have been able to do that had he not already had five books from that yeah. were thrown in the trash by Disney to, to build this character off of. I mean, and that so, goes back to 1993. Yeah. Yeah, so here's an interesting uh, thing that I wanted to ask you specifically about when we're talking about this thing. Dave Filoni grew up with Star Wars from like 1976. I mean, mm -hmm. like he yeah, he has been deal. in it, and and he is a Lucas protege, right? I mean, like he literally learned at the lap of Lucas. He's the and, only one. Um, he is the real torchbearer. <laughs> he is. The, yeah, he's, he is the true Jedi. Yeah, he's, who got the lightsaber handed by George Lucas, and he's like, "Okay, I've taught you everything I know after five seasons of Clone Wars. Um, you got to make, you got to do this yeah. right." And so when he, sh you could watch all the behind the scenes stuff, not behind the scenes stuff. They did these documentaries where they sit around a table and talk about Mandalorian. Um, I forget the name of it. Watch it, yeah. great if you're into it. But Dave Filoni goes so deep on what was really going on with the father-son relationships and all this stuff in Star Wars and, you know, the early episodes and everything. And yep. he was pointing things out that even I, who has a very, I have a very close proximity to Star Wars, had never even thought about and, like, kicked me in the gut. I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. So, um, yeah. And so he, so he, so he kind of takes over from George yeah. Lucas, who greenlit a lot of the stuff that Disney said, yeah, we're not dealing with this anymore. George Lucas did, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Um, so all of that stuff that became legends and non-canon, yeah. I mean, 
this is when this is when you know Kathleen Kennedy took over, and you know really the true Jedi, like you said, right. is Dave and Filoni, the... because he's the one that took the mythological mythos, and yeah. and historical um, mm-hmm. mantle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not the CEO yeah. mantle and, and type Kathleen's of thing. Kathleen's been around, um, but it's not. She she understands it from a storytelling perspective, but. N- Dave Filoni is a guy who will throw in a starfighter that I care about in the last season of Clone Wars because he, he's like, oh, we got to make this canon before we end the season. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's yeah. that's that level the of series, yeah, absolutely. detail that he loves. He was reading our so books too, I, by the way. Um, yeah. So I, w- I was gonna I was gonna ask, and this was kind of my whole point of this, which was. Dave Filoni has taken over. He has seen what Disney kind of did to the um, the lore of Star Wars, which was like, that's nice. We're just going to put it in this box over here. And basically from this point on is the only true canon. You know, we're going to include these things, exclude all of those other things. And from this point forward is true canon. Um Walk me through, like, how important is Dave Filoni to the Star Wars universe? Because what he has done is what you have said. Um, he has brought back those things in his subtle way and made yes. them canon again. Yeah. There's not too many. If you look at anything that's been brought from Legends into the canon, it's his fingerprints are on everything. You know, um, yeah. you know, we talked about Thrawn. Look, he likes the toys that were released that were never shown on screen. And those, like the tank thing they were driving around in in episode two was something that he threw in in one of the animated series. He threw that in Rebels and then they had a, a live action version right. of it. So he's willing, he, he sees the whole universe in toto from George's perspective, from all of the EU writers, all the comic book writers, all the RPG writers, all the novel writers, all these people that have been throwing ingredients into Star Wars, he's wrapped his brain around that. That's his job. And now he's in charge of shaping yeah. that. And there's other people in Lucasfilm, like Pablo Hidalgo, um, who keep that stuff going too. And he's, you know, Pablo got into Star Wars lore through the RPG. Sorry, keep I keep bringing that bell, but we're a gamer podcast, right? Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Pablo Hidalgo is the best job ever. Oh, I was really into Star Wars, and now I'm the keeper of the lore for Lucasfilm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> How do you get that job? Right. But um, so to walk you through it, um, it's really about boiling it down. I, I think if it wasn't for for George, telling him it's about people, it's about emotion, it's about hope, it's about people's relationship with their parents. If it if 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 George had not yeah. beaten that into Dave Filoni's head through all all the all the work they did together on Clone Wars, I don't think Star Wars would be as good as it is now because we would be just chasing the cool ship and chasing the cool alien and you know and how big of a super star destroyer can we build this time and how big of a super weapon can we blow up another planet with? That's not right. the core of Star Wars. That's not that's not the actual core. That's the universe, that's the universe building. building and that stuff is, those are all vehicles. I apologize. Vehicles to tell a, a broader story that, that that's applicable and that matters in a space fantasy setting, not, right. a, not a science fiction setting, but a space fantasy setting. 
And so you yeah, have to have yeah, the fantasy no, elements. Right. If you're too locked into reality, you know, that universe doesn't really work because, you know, there's certain things you just can't hop into a ship and say, punch it, Chewie, and go into orbit in, in 30 right. seconds. Um, that just is not how it works. I, um, I uh, listened to a big PBS documentary a long time ago on um, Joseph Campbell. Right, who wrote the hero with a thousand faces? Yeah. Um, he was big in the hero's journey. He came up with that, you know. And they, at one part of this thing, they interviewed George Lucas about it, and they said, "Your whole thing is the hero's yeah. journey." You know what I mean? And, and in fact, I think when people study and learn about the hero's journey now, they point to Star Wars as like the most easily recognizable version of this, even though like right. you can point to how many movies it has the hero's journey in it. But Star Wars, Star Wars is just it. I mean, it was yep. literally yep. a roadmap of the hero's journey. And, you know, and George Lucas is like, this is it. And I'm going to bring in samurai and I'm going to bring in knights and I'm going to bring in, you know, like the Rome Roman Republic. And I'm going to bring in, you know what I mean? Like all of these like archetypes and Vietnam Nazis. Yeah. You know I mean? He had so, so much of that, that he like worked into it. And, um, you know, he basically mind melded that into Dave Filoni's head. And, um, I told it's funny because I, I I probably told you this. I I expressed my opinion on the last trilogy. I didn't like it. Um, I I didn't yeah. like it. And and the main reason why is because to me they were great movies. They were not great films. And the reason that mm. they were lacking that film quality was because they they decoupled themselves with the mythos. And they just didn't have mm. the mythos there that the original ones did. And even to an extent, I mean, actually, I think that the prequels had a lot of mythos in it. They just had a lot of writing problems, yeah. um, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, I so I think that the last trilogy decoupled itself because they were like, all right, let's let's do the big cool ship. Let's do like the fancy shiny armor. Let's do the you know the black storm trooper. Let's do the you know let's do all these yeah. things that are going to shock and awe people with cool special effects like that time that Kylo Ren stopped a freaking uh uh laser bolt, you Blaster know, plasma bolt. bolt. And you're like, yeah, that <laughs> we're 5 minutes in and he's used the force to stop you're like, the blast. You're like, dude, oh that God. is amazing, but yeah. we're missing the mythos here. We're missing like that that magic that stirs in the deep parts of your soul that make you think, wow, I connect with this movie. I connect on this on a deeper so, level. Yeah. And that's where, that's where these series, like if you even look at, you know, mm-hmm. WandaVision, you know, you give yourself eight hours to tell a story. It's a very yeah, different yeah, story yeah. versus yeah, I agree. two hours, right? The beginning and the middle and end are, are very, very different. So Mandalorian has the luxury of being 16 hours yep. long right now. Well, 16 hours long, it's catching up real quick on the total number of hours of episodes one right, to nine, right? right? So that's 18 hours plus the Rogue One and, um, and, and the solo film. So, yeah, you're going to respond to them in different ways. You can do quiet moments. You can do more thoughtful moments. You can I- introduce characters and spend time with them yep. and get to see them yep. from two or three different angles. On the big popcorn munching movies, you just can't. They're not the same. See, I did. I, like I'm going to disagree with you because George Lucas did it in the trilo- original trilogy. Yeah. Okay. I, I will. I'll grant that to you. But he also had 
first of all, he did have Campbell to rely on really yes. heavily. And I read a lot of versions of the script. I mean, this was back <laughs> in the day when you needed to have somebody who could get on the old black and white internet and go on one of these crazy uh, yeah. boards and download and print it off yourself on those papers that had the yep. holes on it. Yep. You had to punch out your own. So I had read, I had gotten a couple of versions of the older versions of the scripts and they were, George's early versions of the script were really, yeah. really horrible. I mean, quite frankly, they were stinker bad. Um, and then he found Joseph Campbell, and then he found his wife, who was an amazing right. editor. Yes. Um, and she was a good writing editor, and she was also a film editor, but she also understood storytelling and really helped him a lot. You know how the, the, the wheels start coming off the cart a little bit in episode yeah. six? Because they had a divorce. Right. 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 You get in episode six and you're like, oh, that's the, the what's with the teddy bears? And, and come on, why, why are we doing yeah. this? There's a whole lot of questions there. And that's because her influence like walked right out the door. And that's another reason why episode one stinks so bad is because there was nobody in check. the room willing to tell George he had yeah. a bad idea. Um, and that is a proven fact. Yeah. By the way. <laughs> you can watch the documentaries of everybody who's the head of every department. And George is like, we're doing this, doing this, doing this, doing this, doing this. You can see the looks on everybody everybody's faces, like this movie sucks, yeah, and they won't yeah. say it out loud. Yeah, you know, and I mean, and it, it, it's a proven fact that, like, in my opinion, Empire Strikes Back is the best out of all the the nine movies, and part of that is that George didn't direct it. You know, it was Irving exactly. Kirshner, and it was a in, right. you know, like and, it, it's got talk about mythos in that one. I mean, there's so much yeah, great stuff. And, and who was Irving yeah. Kirshner? Irving Kirshner was George Lucas's yeah. mentor. A guy who could say, George, I think we should yeah. do it this way. Yeah. The the, the director for the episode six, the British guy, his name escapes me right now. He was just a gun for yeah. hire. And he, he George was always stepping on his toes. I'm sorry. I didn't no, no. That. I was going to make the point that um, if we're saying that Dave Filoni is a spiritual successor of, you know, of the lore of Star Wars, I will say that the Irving Kirshner of The Mandalorian is Jon Favreau. You know, yeah, um, yeah, because John Favreau, absolutely. A, can tell a dang good story and he can produce that guy. I mean, he has the, yeah. you talk about the Marvel movies, like the best ones are the ones that he's been involved with. You know, he really knows how to build a team. And yeah, let's not forget that Iron Man one launched the entire yep. MCU. Yeah. Let's and it, guess what? If he screwed up Iron Man one, there would be no MCU. Is the way we oh, know yeah. it today. It'd be like the Punisher so, movie from 1990s. The, the, <laughs> exactly. They keep, you know, there's a lot of 1990s Marvel stuff that doesn't launch its own continuity. Yeah. You can go back and watch, you know, a few sequels here and there for Blade, but not much. Um, but yeah, Filoni really um, understands what makes a really good story and and is wants to be engaging. And he's got a lot of heart. I mean, look to see how he fought for the movie yeah. Elf. The, the company tried to recut Elf. There's a documentary about this on Netflix and just tried to make it into a screwball comedy. And he's like, no, this needs to be, uh, this needs to be a, a, a holiday classic. I'm making a holiday classic. This is how right. it needs to feel. Uh, and so he's, he's not afraid to put heart into the shows and also be smart with special effects and also be smart yep. with characters and casting. And he brings a lot of really great um, people to the show and he's brought on great directors too. the, this the cadre of directors, yeah. you know, Bryce Dallas Howard, um, you know, uh, all, all these really great 
great, um, you know, I, I don't want to mispronounce any of their names. I have some of their names in front of me, but I'm like, I'm going to say that wrong, except for Peyton Didn't uh, Taika Waikiki do uh, Waititi? <laughs> Taika Waititi, He yes, did a couple, he, right? He directed, um, yeah, he didn't direct in season two, but he'll probably be back. Um, he's he's busy making Carl Weathers. He's busy making like uh, Thor four. Yeah, he's got all this stuff that he does because he's a big deal and yeah, whatever. Oh, hundred percent. Don't get me wrong. He's the. Be- I mean, I could watch you know JoJo Bunny. <laughs> Such again. a good movie. Ah, uh, yeah. But swinging back to Mandalorian, um, so much has those directors and what kind of stories they wanted to tell and how different the first eight episodes are from each other is really important because they could have done a cowboy episode every time, but right. they didn't. They had very different feels. So the directors were Deborah Chow, Rick, uh, I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, Famuyiwa, I said it wrong, Filoni, Bryce Dallas Howard, and, Ta- and mm-hmm. Taika Waititi. Yeah, those were the directors for season one, and there's a different cadre of directors for season two. Yeah. Just to answer the question for all the all of the minions of lore out there, or sorry, of uh, details out there. Um, so yes, we've said a lot about the Mandalorian. We know you've watched it. We wish this was a dialogue. We wish we could talk to all of you live. <laughs> was there anything that we need to say about the Mandalorian that we haven't said? The only thing I would say. So uh, I asked a question earlier, which was, um, you know, I keep going back to it, which is, does the Clone Wars, you know, did like, did was that important for people to enjoy the Mandalorian? And I think that the answer is not necessarily. I think it enhances and enriches the Mandalorian. You know, I think their whole the whole background of the Mandalorian, um, you know, with the whole Duchess Satine and you know, um, you know, the dark yeah, the dark saber and all that stuff was just like, I mean, it 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 shot the Mandalorian up to an eleven. You know what I mean? When you're just like, oh my gosh, I know exactly what's going on and I love every minute of it, you know? Um, And you've got those fun fan, you know, forums that are out there and they're like, oh my gosh, like this is this and this is that in season three and, you know, all the Easter eggs and all that. And, um, uh, but, you know, all of that doesn't matter because the Mandalorian had one thing, one thing that actually cemented it in pop culture. Baby Yoda. Yeah, we didn't talk about Baby Yoda. <laughs> and I'm telling you, there is the Baby Yoda effect that ended up um, blowing this series into mainstream, right? Yeah. Because every yeah. here's the thing: is everybody knows who Yoda is. Like everybody yeah. knows who Yoda is. He's a cultural. He's a global. Uh, yeah, everyone on the planet. 80% of the planet knows who you he know, is. You know, and the, half the people will talk like them, even though they get it wrong every time. Um, and, you know, <laughs> they'll try to, you know, do little quotes of his or whatever. Um, but, you know, even even my mom, like, would see, who's, like, not a pop culture expert by any stretch of the imagination. But if she saw yeah. Yoda, she would know who Yoda is, right? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So to have a baby, cute little baby Yoda that was going to be a plushie, that's going to be on mugs, it's going to be on t-shirts, it's going to be on hats, it's going to be on little, you know, baby outfits, and, you know, I mean, talk about marketing. He's a puppet. He's a little puppet, you know? 
just like yeah, just the like other the other Yoda exactly. Was a puppet. So you've got this cute little baby Yoda, and that was enough to basically cross cut all demographics. I mean, you had yeah. my eight year old daughter's like, I want to watch the Mandalorian. I love that cute little baby Yoda. You know, <laughs> she could care less about all the other Star Wars yeah. stuff, you know. And yeah. uh, you know, I'm watching yeah. it, and I'm just like. I wonder if Baby Yoda is ever going to talk. And if he does, is he going to talk like Yoda? That's interesting. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm sitting here yeah. like, that's interesting. Yeah. I, 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 I don't, don't think he will either. But I'm sitting, I, I, I like but I'm sitting here in my in my chair thinking like, thinking that, right? And my wife is like, oh, cute little Baby Yoda, you know? And um, here you have, again, five very different people with five very different experiences and and perspectives that are all watching this video or the, the the series and it's revolving around baby Yoda. So Werner Herzog, and I'm sure most everybody listens to this podcast knows this, but Werner, Her- Werner, Werner Herzog, they were going to cover baby Yoda up with a CGI. And he basically, sh- now he's a director and an actor. He's an actor that's been famous for playing yeah. Nazis. And I'm talking like death. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like this is this is a, these are roles that helped his career, right? That's the kind of hard hard butt he is, right? He's like, this thing's adorable. You you need to have faith that this thing, that people are going to respond to it as much as we respond to it on the yeah. set. And and he was absolutely right because if they would have dropped a CGI, oh, not the Yoda same on top. We would have been, oh, that's that's interesting. I guess they're they're doing that. Yep. It's at, 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 it's the practical effect. It's how the actors can direct. Now I know there's CGI elements to to Grogu. Yeah. We all know there there are, but but by and large, what sells it is the professionalism of that of that puppet, the character uh-huh. design, the puppeteers who are controlling it all, and the writers. Yeah. Who give it the right things to do and understand it subtly? Yeah, they understand. Everybody understands um, the importance of Grogu's subtlety because it is an interesting reflection of the Mandalorian's subtlety. Like the Mandalorian isn't given to big gestures. His biggest gesture was taking off his helmet so that his friends could live. You know what I mean? Like that was his biggest gesture, and that was a big one. And you think about it, you're like. Wait, that dude just took his helmet off, and that's like a big deal. Like, like, wait, what? You know what I mean? Like, he's got, he's got, uh, you know, the Mandalorian has this kind of um, uh, outward emotional range between like one and negative one. <laughs> you know? Yes. You don't. Okay, so the audience does not empathize with the Mandalorian right. as a character. We admire him. He's a superhero. He kicks a lot of butt. He's got great armor, great cool toys. The one character who's there every episode who you sympathize with and empathize with, yep, it's Grogu. Exactly. You that's the audience going the, this defenseless thing that's very powerful because everybody's a Jedi in their heart. We all know everybody's a Jedi in their heart. And he, he's on this adventure with with the Mandalorian. He's yeah. us. And so all those emotion all they have to do is get those emotions right coming off the puppet and everybody else reacting to it. And that's why the kids love it, and that's why Grandma loves it all the way up and down. It is it, That's a work of genius, it is. quite frankly. It is. And George would have killed that idea because he said, no more Yoda aliens in my universe. They're done. We're done with Yoda, Yoda aliens. We're not going to the Yoda planet. We're not talking about Yoda. Yeah. We're done. 
Uh, so George would have had, I don't know, a fuzzy Ewok or something. Right, I don't right, know right, what right. he would have had. Maybe a Jar Jar Binks <laughs> that would have went over flat because he doesn't have that level of emotional yeah, intelligence, yeah. right? And, and and this is where you get guys like Filoni and, and, and um, uh, the other guy. We just talked about the other Favreau. producer. Ugh, yeah. Favreau. It's that emotional yep. intelligence to say, look, you give him a sidekick that everyone falls in love with. And and all the reaction shots that that the Grogu gives are the audience. And yeah, and now we have humanized genius. our inhuman superhero, you know, because we never see his face. Right. We never see. You know what I mean? Like he's inhuman. We never see yep. his face, but after two seasons, the love that they have with each other breaks through yep. that armor. Right. He takes it off because he loves this this character so much and they have this father and son bond guess what the father and son bond is a big part right, of star wars right, right. i'm sorry yep. and every time they forget about not father and son child yep. and parent bond every time they forget about the child and parent bond like they did in episode eight and they threw it in the trash you know or they did with episode seven and had um kylo you know run a sword through his dad there was something that was not true yeah. about that yeah there was something that was patently right. false and everybody resp- and that's the only reason why the episode, the the scene in episode nine even feels halfway cool when, when uh, when Han Solo and Kylo are talking to or Ben Solo are talking to each other is, it's almost like they got to play a real moment for five seconds and uh, out of th- right. three films, yep. right? But in Mandalorian, we get those real moments yeah. every episode. So bringing this back around earlier to what I said, I made the premise that I think that the Mandalorian has saved Star Wars. Do you think that that is true? Let me let me say this. I think Star Wars saved itself. Okay. okay. Because the fans love it enough to tolerate it, to be mad at it, and still go sure. back to the sure. well. And finally, Star Wars got a one of the recipes together that will work now is every series they're going to do going to have this magic chemistry of grogu and 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 the mandalorian no they can't go back to that well over and over again but they did basically put something on live support where um from a corporate art standpoint those films the last three films were were rough yeah Um, um as far as they created a lot of controversy. There's no controversy around zero. Yeah. Zero controversy. You know, uh, you know, I can't even think of like, there's probably someone that wants to cancel something for someone. Oh, Gina Carano. Yeah. That's, you know, Oh yeah. So there's controversy, controversy. but that's what she's doing off screen. That's not, nobody has anything bad to say about Mandalorian itself. Right. Or even her role in the Mandalorian, you know, so that I find that interesting too. Um, and you're, you know, you're absolutely right. Like, there's, there's no critique of that, which in our day and age, is almost unheard of. You know. Right. To get, without a whole, it's like, without the trolls and haters. Everybody, there's trolls and haters on everything. Except what for apparently tabletop and beyond, we have no trolls or haters. Oh man, we're like <laughs> the Mandalorian. No trolls and haters. I'm sure there's Mandalorian haters out yeah. there. You got There's a hater for yeah. everything, right? But um, no, I mean, the problem with the movie is because there's bil- you know billions of dollars ex- at stake. Yeah, it, they have to be everything to everybody, and that's an impossible task. It's true, and I think that I think that they wanted to put 
their stamp on it and say like we are not gonna be the prequels we are not going to just solely do george lucas's vision we are gonna put our own stamp on it and you know they ended up grinding out again the mythos the thing that made me fall in love with the original trilogy you know and and they they kind of missed that part unfortunately they got this the sense of adventure right in episode seven you had a sense of adventure and then there was mystery like what's going on with kylo what's going on with ray and then in episode eight they basically said you know your heroes are jerks now (laughs) you're 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 the biggest hero in the galaxy is now a jerk Ray, you're no one, and you need to be comfortable with the fact that you're right. no one. And if you're ever going to amount to anything, you got to join with me in the dark side, right? So there's all this like really heavy duty baggage yeah. in episode eight. Some people really loved some of those ideas, and it's not about them introducing characters that don't really go anywhere. It's really about the kind of emotional journey and how Ryan Reynolds just wanted to 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 to, to, to turn our expectations of Star Wars on its head. Well, he did that. Ryan Johnson. But he also or did I Ryan say Ryan Reynolds? Say? And I'm like Ryan Johnson. Deadpool had <laughs> nothing Ryan to Johnson. do with this. <laughs> if he did that'd be Ryan a very Reynolds, different movie. It's his fault. Star Wars got a problem, right? <laughs> and then in episode 9 they're like, "Oh, well, uh Episode seven wasn't fully realized. Episode eight was unrealized on top of yeah. unrealized. Okay. Okay, JJ, why don't you fully realize these two movies into something that's fully Recon, Recon, Recon. And it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing that episode nine holds together as I well agree. as it does, considering how how many yards it had on the field at the beginning of of, of the you know That I agree with. Movie, I, so. again it wasn't my favorite movie, but out of the three it was probably the like the best one. And um, and I think J.J. Abrams was able to stitch something together, even though I think that he's a total hack and should be never on any movie ever. Yeah. Uh, you know, a, a lot of people say that about J.J. I, I'll give J.J. credit. What Episode Seven did is it was ma- the mouthwash of the prequels. Everybody got to wash all their negative baggage of the prequels yeah. out and say, oh, I can go to a Star Wars movie and be excited about right. it again. Because one and two were rough, and you really had to love it to stick it out for three. And then three was a tragedy. It was yeah. a bummer. It ends on a downer note, like a heavy-duty downer note. And George is like, well, of course it was. Now go watch the other three movies, and it'll get you on an upper. And we're like, we've seen those movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, you didn't have to kill us in episode three. So, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff, but we keep going back to them. There must They must be good. If we're still talking yeah. about them. Yeah. No, I agree. I right? Look, I, I, I agree. Uh, we're never going to get rid of them. They're always going to be there. Um, and I the think that I, yeah, there's zeitgeist. And I think that um, the, the start, the Disney Star Wars was headed down a bad path, in my opinion. I think that they were headed down the corporate, like, movie sequel path. Um, yeah. Now, granted... This is the same Disney studio that gave us Rogue One that outside of the original trilogy and maybe even if you exclude six is probably the best movie in Star Wars, in my opinion. Oh, I would ag- I would agree. And the kids hate it because the good. Yeah. Guys and but it's so, so, and so good. Part of the yeah. problem with it. It's a great film. And it's like, oh, yeah, if I'm sitting down with. A film buff, they're like, yeah, this is great. All, all their sacrifice has meaning because everybody is over 40, yeah. right? Who's like, oh, yeah, of course all the good guys yeah. should die. You know, you get a little kid who's like, hey, you want this action figure of 
uh, you know, po, uh, not Poe Dameron of uh, Cassian Andor. You know, oh, no, Cassian. Yeah, Andor. exactly. <laughs> they they hurt the the they hurt the mythos. They could go on this adventure with these people, and by killing them yeah. all off, they couldn't. Yeah emotionally go on further so but yeah so i mean it you know you had you had the same studio that kind of made those but you you had disney that was basically like hey we're going to give you our version of star wars and a lot of people were like oh we're not sure we like that you know this doesn't taste the same and we're not a big fan of that you know and um i think that uh you know that was like it was a couple of really bad Yelp reviews that started turning people away. You know what I mean? And, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. if it were like compared to a restaurant, it was like a couple of bad Yelp reviews. And then all of a sudden, like they, they, you know, quote unquote, fired their chef and brought in a new menu with the Mandalorian. And now like, you know, business is booming, baby, you know? Yeah. I, I heard like this goes deeper than you think. I heard that they wanted to retool galaxy's edge because they thought that the sequel series seven, eight, nine was going to be the thing that really gets people excited about star Wars. So of course that should be reflected in the Disney Uh theme park. I've heard the rumor that they want to retool as much as they can to make it closer. Wow. That's interesting. Uh, Because, because Mandalorian is so universally successful. Um, And I can't, disagree with that i think people would be more excited to see grogu than ray i think more people would be interested in seeing a lot of different kind of aliens and bounties and stormtroopers than new order the variety yeah the new order stuff yeah so anyway um we as you could tell we i love this stuff i can i could literally go on for another 90 minutes and only talk about this and still feel like I've not yeah. gotten everything yeah. off my chest. So for me and Star so people are like, Dan, why are you so into Star Wars? Um, and just as far as an admission goes here, um, my parents got divorced about the time that I got into mm-hmm. Star Wars. I was a young kid. I was, you know, I was so young when they took me to see episode four, which was just called Star Wars, that my brother had to sit next to me and read the opening crawl <laughs> to me. Like I couldn't, I couldn't read it right. So, um, and so there was a lot of Star Wars tied up with my family dynamic, mm. and it was it became my great escape, right, my great right. escape of all the things that were going bad at home. And I had all the action figures and all the toys and everything. And and my father loved the films and would go take us to the films, especially when there was nothing to watch. We would go see them over and over again because summer times were hot. You didn't go play outside in Las Vegas. You went, you know, you went indoors and to see the movies and got to get the kids out of the house on a Saturday because mom and dad aren't getting along. Well, a lot of that, you know, the merchandising plus the emotional connection to it is is one of the reasons why I tell people I have an unconditional love for Star Wars, which is you know, people are like, well, why, why, why do you just love it for what it is? I'm like, well, for me, it's a member of my family. It's like saying, you know, there's an aunt or an uncle or a cousin that, that that's always there and you're always going to love them no matter what on their good days right. or on their bad. So that's, that explains if, if you're like, Dan, why you know, I've been asked many times, why are you so obsessed with star Wars? And so this is, this is a little bit of truth opening up to say, look, I know myself well enough to know that um, it's it's the great escape. Some people escape into football and baseball, and some people escape in 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 hunting and fishing, and that makes all the sense in the world to me because right. I get it. 
Absolutely. I, you know, it's funny because Star Wars for me didn't become that huge. I mean, I loved the movies and everything like that. And I remember seeing the remastered movies uh, in the theaters in the late 90s, you know. Um, um, yeah. But it wasn't. I was in Yeah, nice. Okay. Could... <laughs> so um, we uh, saw those saw those movies in the theaters. And I remember camping out for tickets for episode one. And awesome. that was a lot of fun. And the only reason I really did that part was because I had some friends who were really, really, really into it. And I just kind of tagged along with them. But, you know, through that, I became as big of a fan of it as they were. You know, right. we talked right. about. It's the social. Well, I think we talked about Trivial Pursuit the other night in our party games, you know. <laughs> And uh, yes. I, I can't remember if I mentioned this, but my friend had um, the Star Wars version of Trivial Pursuit, and I learned the most obscure facts about Star Wars playing that game. Because <laughs> think about it, the whole game was about Star Wars. So you had to have them broken up into like six categories, and you had to have hundreds of questions yeah. in each category. It was like... When they landed on, you know, X planet, the twilight that greeted them was named what? And you're like, what? I don't know. Bit for tuna. Yes, Bit for tuna. Exactly. So. We had his action figure. He was lame. We wanted more stormtroopers. Mom kept buying us lame action figures because that was still on the shelf. So funny. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I that's where I got into it. And, you know, I'm glad that my kids are, are liking it and that they get into it, too, and. Um, you know, I mean, I, I want more good Star Wars, and I think that The Mandalorian scratches yeah. that itch, and I think that um, it's inspiring a new generation of people who weren't sucked in by these this new trilogy like we were sucked in by the original one. Yeah. And you know what's funny is, like, my kids, they watched the original one and they liked it, but they weren't sucked in by it because it wasn't as flashy as, you know, what's yeah. new. It paved the way for everything else. Yeah. And, in. you know, I mean, for us, it was. I mean, like when we were watching Star Wars, yeah. it was amazing. Like those special effects were amazing, yeah. you know. And that's yeah. okay. Um, you know, and that's great. So the fact is now we have a show that has, that is modern day. It has modern day pacing. It has modern day dialogue in terms of like being able to, yeah. you know, connect with audiences and it, um, it's got, you know, the acting and production quality. And even, you know, with that includes CGI and, and puppeteering and all that stuff, production quality to yeah. say, this is a well-polished series and, and the writing is good in it. So now it sucks them in that, yeah. you know, that the latest trilogy, my, my kids, after they watched it, they were like, Okay, that was fine. You know? Yeah. Oh, okay. That, that was cool. nice. The, the, the teddy yeah, bear. Yeah, I enjoyed <laughs> I enjoyed going to, you know, um, or, you know, with the latest trilogy. Like, I enjoyed going to the movies. That was fun. But they weren't like, oh, man, that Star Wars was amazing and, you know, this and this and this. But when you hear them talk about the Mandalorian, they get that yeah. twinkle in their eye. It's so, it's so weird that we're talking about passing this on to our kids because I definitely remember the year, the years from. Um, you know, 1982 to 1999, where there was no right. new Star Wars. Right. And those were, I was still a fan during all those years. And I remember when episode one came out, or I'd been a fan of Star Wars the entire time. I knew everything there was to know. And then suddenly all these jocks and cool people are now into Star Wars yeah. again. And I'm like, 
screw you guys. I was into this when this was super nerdy and no one cared yeah. about it. And yeah, West End Games was able to get the gaming license. Nobody wanted to publish Star Wars games. That was right, ridiculous. Right. Hasbro didn't want to do another board game. Durr. And then suddenly, then then through the 90s and the 2000s, it's it's now blown up into something so huge and then we're that it's still the train is still going and it's still doing great stuff and that's circles back to mandalorian which there's something really inherently good about it when you can take filoni and um sorry i forgot his name twice now uh favreau um, and they can make a great series and and use the universe and not break any of the rules of the universe and and bring everybody along. There's room for everybody on the train with Mandalorian. And yeah, maybe you didn't like one of the last movies and maybe you didn't like the cartoons or didn't watch them, but now everybody has a place to enjoy Star Wars again. Um, so Mandalorian has is has helped Star Wars save itself. Yeah. Yep, I agree. I agree 100%. So and we always knew yeah, it. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Dan, as always, I appreciate your expertise when it comes to the Star Wars universe. You are one of few, honestly, I think that can really dive into this and, and you know, go through. So, um, you know, yeah, I'm sorry about that. People. No, I think uh, <laughs> I think that the, I think it's it's interesting because, um, you know, there's there's a lot of different podcasts out there, a lot of other podcasts out there that I don't think have the expertise that you are bringing to the table, you know. It's all just a little bit on a regular basis over way too many years. Yeah. <laughs> way too, you buy too many games and you read the you read the lore on everything. You know, if if you're just always slurping a little bit of it in, you're like, oh, I know. Yeah, about yeah. That. Ooh, I know about that. Definitely, definitely. I got I got one more quick little anecdote. This is this is very quick. So um, the the actress who was the model and voice of Juno Eclipse um, on uh, Force Unleashed one and two. She and I have been friends on Facebook through a mutual friend for a while, and 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 she's really great. Her name's Natalie Cox, and um, they had she was really disappointed when her she was part of the Legends canon that got thrown in the trash when Disney took it over, right? That really bummed her out. And then I was playing X-Wing and I bought an X-Wing supplement and they had a Juno Eclipse card and they had referenced her. And I was like, Natalie, you're back in canon. And that really made her day to know that her character that she, you know, did two video games doing all the the, the mocap and the voice on was still alive and well. And that uh, here she's a model from England and she's, uh, you know, an actress and all these British things, but there's still she still has a star wars uh, uh, so she she's she's still invested in star wars at, at, at some very wow. real level and I'm, I'm a big fan and so um anyway i just wanted to share that where even people who you you think would would not be that interested in this stuff like british models still still have a still have a, a stake in the, in the mythos absolutely all right, all right. We're going to end it there. We're going to kill this podcast. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, you guys have a great night. And uh, keep up your geek weeks. Geek it up. All right. Thanks. Thanks.